as I was kind of preparing for this morning last night, I just felt a real sense that actually God wanted to um, to reignite hope. That was the phrase I had. And and even just as I kind of glance over here, there's um, there's the the lyrics for the guys that um, on the worship team. Alicia doesn't need them. She's got them all locked down. Um, but there was a, like a spontaneous chorus just sat there that said, um, uh, you will ignite my hope or something that was it didn't get sung. And it's just like, oh, yeah, this is what God wants to do this morning. And um I just feel like, yeah, that he wants to um, remind us of who he is, of what he's like, of where we've been with him. Um, and he wants to do that, not just for nostalgia, not just kind of for looking back, but, but actually because it's significant for, for where we are right now and actually where we need to move into in the future. Um, so I just feel like he wants to reignite hope and bring fresh life and fresh impetus and actually reconnect us um, communally but um, specifically as individuals reconnect us to our purpose to what we are made for um, and I find that sometimes you know the best way to look forward is is to look back and we've got this amazing blessing of of the bible with just with packed of story after story of of God showing up in in the world in people's lives and um and it's amazing because we can read these stories and and see what God is like and actually know that okay it's the same God that I know it's the same God that's with me and actually these stories here are an invitation to me and so um I wanted to look at a story that I've talked about a lot and um there's every chance that people watching have heard me talk about this before but it's it's good stuff so that's okay and um we're going to look at Exodus 16 and it's um a story of the Israelites when um they've just crossed the Red Sea, they've just escaped um, from Pharaoh and they're, they're starting their wilderness journey. Um, and they, there's a story of miraculous provision that, that God does through manna and quail. And uh, we're just going to uh, look through it. It's the whole of Exodus 16. I'm not going to read um, it all out, but we're going to read out little chunks. Um, but it'd probably help if you've got a Bible, just to have the whole thing open. And um, I just, I love this passage because there's just some little keys about um, just we just see not just God showing up, but kind of how he shows up teaches us loads of really interesting things. And I just feel like actually as we go through it this morning, there's going to be um, significant bits that um, crop up for everyone that actually like, oh, yeah, um, God's going to put his finger on something. Um, so just as a little bit of context, like I'm sure we all, all kind of a lot of us know the the story of the Israelites in terms of the big picture. So. This is um, the people that were descended from Abraham. So God makes this promise to Abraham, says, I'm going um, to give you a people. Um, I'm gonna th- and through this people, I'm going to um, bless the whole world. Like you're going to be my chosen people. And, like, um, and through you, I'm going to um, bless the whole world. And so we, we have the descendants of Abraham with the Israelites. And um, eventually, you know, we know the story of Joseph. They, um, they end up in Egypt, which uh, actually turns sour and they end up becoming slaves. And then... Um, God eventually rescues the Israelites from their slavery in Egypt, brings them out through the Red Sea um, and actually then um, takes them towards a promised land in Canaan, that, you know, the land flowing with milk and honey that right back at the start, God said to Abraham, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to um, give you a people and give, give you a place to be. Um, and it's going to be awesome. But um, this journey in the wilderness actually is not awesome. <laughs> it's a very long time. And so from, from crossing the Red Sea, it's 40 years of, of the um, Israelites sh- sojourning um, in the wilderness to then cross through the River Jordan and into the promised land that God had laid out for them and had promised them hundreds of years before. Um, maybe hundreds of years. I'm not quite sure on the maths of that. Sorry. Check it if you need to. Um, but kind of, so we know the big picture. We know yeah, yeah, they're, they're slaves, they're set free, they come into the promised land. But um, it's so easy within that to sort of forget just how much process and life 
actually happened between all those things. You know, like it's easy just to reel them off, you know, like oh, we've got Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And, but that, that in itself is three generations worth of years. And then um, thinking about the, the time in the wilderness, oh yeah, wandering the, in the desert for 40 years, like 40 years is a long time. I haven't got there yet. Still got a few years to go. And, and it's a long time. And what is crazy is that actually the, the physical distance that the Israelites needed to travel um, through the desert into the promised land was actually, I looked this up on the internet last night, was an 11 day journey. If they, you know, they probably would have had to be going at a pretty fast pace, but it would have been possible to do that amount of distance in 11 days and it took them 40 years. Um, and actually, even if they'd only done one mile a day, they'd have done it in nine months. So it was not a, it's, yeah, it's interesting. And so, and, and I think that's informative because like, I guess if you ever weren't worried that something's taking longer than you hoped, that like you're in good company, it's not, it's not unusual. And it's just this idea that actually like, we know this, like life isn't about A to B. Like often kind of when we look back and describe things, we think about the milestones and um, we can tie it up in a neat package, but actually so much of it is process and it's journey and it's the stuff that happens along the way. And um, and in Exodus 16, we're right at the start of that journey for the Israelites. So it's not like I'm going to read the story to you and at the end it's all sorted and they're in the promised land and ooh, everything's sorted. Like actually this is right at the start of that 40 year journey. But already they've started to get a bit sick of things. They started to grumbling like, oh, actually, would it might have been better for us to be back in captivity because at least then we had food like we don't even have food here like what's the point of this like they're already starting to get impatient but as we read this story as we see how God provides manna and quail miraculously we actually we see what God is like and we see ways that we can actually trust in that same kind of faithfulness right here today so um so let's look at it um like I said I'm not going to read uh, verses 1 to 36 but I'm just going to pick out chunks um, and the first chunk is going to be um starting in verse four. And then um, the thing to notice here is actually the first thing, like when God um, provides a solution, it comes first as a promise. So God's solution comes first as a promise. Let's read this. Um, verses four to five. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people should go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they walk in my law or not. And on the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring it in, what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So the Israelites have got a situation, they're hungry. And the Lord says to Moses, behold, I'm going to do this for you. So I'm going to rain bread from heaven for you. So God's first answer to Moses isn't just, boom, here's the bread. It's like, it's a promise. He speaks, it's his word. We see that in creation. That's how, that's how, you know, we read Genesis and it's like God spoke the world into being. And so it's like, Actually, the power of God lies in his word, in what he has spoken. Jesus himself is described as the logos, the word of God. And, um, and so it's so important for us that actually wherever we find ourselves in our journey, we know that word. We know what God has said. We, we see it in the person of Jesus and we have it written down in the Bible. We have these promises of God where he has spoken that actually his solution is there. Like it's already there. Like it, maybe it hasn't manifested yet. Maybe it hasn't come to fruition yet in your life, but actually the power of God lies in his word. And so it's so important to us that whatever season we find ourselves in, whether, whether we feel near or whether we feel far, like actually we know what God has said and we know that we can trust it. We know that we can build our life on it. We know that it's a firm foundation. 
You know, Jesus at the end of the Sermon on the Mount says, anyone who listens to my words and responds to them is like the man who builds his house on the rock that builds on something firm and secure. So actually, before we kind of experience like the, the tangible effects of God's faithfulness, actually, we, we, can, we can trust it and stand on it and know that it's there. You know, it says in, in Corinthians, you know, every promise is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. If God has spoken it, it's yes and amen. It's going to happen. So that's the first thing. Um, God's solution comes first as a promise. Um, the second thing is, uh, let's jump down to verse 13. So in the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. So the second point here is that um, we see we see God's provision. It, like He said he's going to do it and then he does it. And it comes in the form of this fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And the thing to note here is that um, actually God's provision can be unexpected. Like even the fact that, you know, this thing is called manna, even its very name, it's like the, the, its name literally means like, what is it? So like God says, I'm going to provide and he provides this thing and the Israelites just call it, what is it? Like, I don't even know what this is. Like, I, I, to be fair, I don't blame them. Like I, I've never eaten fine frost-like flakes off the ground that appeared miraculously overnight. So can't really blame them. But um, I think the point here is that actually um, God says he's going to provide, he does, but um, it's in an unexpected way. And I wonder, you like, actually, um, how often that's happened in our own lives. And, and I think um, the thing here is, is basically just to be careful not to reject something and say it's not God because it hasn't come in the way that we thought. You know, we might have something in our heart that we're hoping for or something that we're standing for. or You know, it's something that we're, a promise that we're waiting to be fulfilled and we imagine it will look a certain way. But actually, quite often, God moves in unexpected ways. So we need to be careful not to miss it because it doesn't look like we imagined. And then following on from that in verses 17 to 18, um, we see that even though that God's uh, provision can be unexpected, actually it's always precise. Let's see it here. And the people of Israel did so. They did what um, God commanded. They gathered, they gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever, get, whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. So let me just explain this. Basically, God says, go out and, um, and, and do it this way, um, and don't try and take more than you need. Just uh, take what I've said. Um, and then actually they see that um, whoever gathered, uh, anyone who gathered more, Basically, they had what they needed. Sorry, I, I don't know why I can't read this straight. <laughs> the words are sort of looking a bit blurry. Um, but everything that uh, they needed, they had. So like, even though God's provision can often be unexpected, it's always precise. It's always exactly what we need. And again, look back through your own life. Look at God's faithfulness in your own, in your own life and see that, oh yeah, that didn't happen just the way I thought. But you know what? It happened in the way that I needed. Um. And so uh, even just that kind of thinking about other places in scripture, like Psalm 139, you know, like God knows us. He knows how many hairs are on our head. 
Like often we don't understand. And there'll be, there'll be questions that we have that we don't have answers to right now and that we probably won't ever get answers to. But we just trust that actually, even though God moves often in unexpected ways, he knows what he's doing and he's precise. Um, the fourth point is this. And so uh, we're in verses 22 to 30 now. Um, so on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. So what's going on here is um, God's told them you only need to get one day at a time. And if you try and get more, it'll rot. You know, it'll start stinking. Like you can't, you can't like take into your own hands miraculous provision that I said, I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you every day. You're going to need to collect it every day. And if you try and sort yourself out and make yourself a buffer, it's not going to work. However, on the sixth day of the week, you can do that. So it's not like there's some magical property of the manor that after 24 hours it expires. Like this is just what God is choosing to do. And then, but then he says on the sixth day, you can gather more. You can gather enough for two days so that actually you're then able to observe the Sabbath. Um, and, the, and they do that. And God gets a bit annoyed. He's like, you know, how long will they not get it? But actually um, you need to follow the instructions that God has said. And um I think that's significant because I don't think God's just trying to be difficult. I don't think he's trying to get people to jump through hoops and um, do things just for the sake of it. I think what he's doing is like in his provision, in his faithfulness, in the way that he interacts with his people, he's actually teaching us about himself, teaching us, us about his character and reinforcing things that are important. So in this case, it's the Sabbath. Like he's saying, like, actually, in the way that this manner thing's going to happen, Actually, not only is that going to meet your physical need of food, it's actually going to teach you things about me. And, and in particular, it's going to teach you how much I value the Sabbath. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that into the, the way that this manner appears so that you see that I'm really serious about this Sabbath thing. Um, and obviously that is interesting. Like, and we could talk lots about the Sabbath and that's a really interesting thing to, to explore. But I think the general point is here is like actually as we see God's faithfulness, it's not just about the outcome. It's not just about what you get or don't get or whatever. It's, it's actually, we, we see who more, we see more of what God is like, what he values, what's important. Um, and so just in our own lives, like I wonder actually thinking about the ways that God provides for us, like, yes, let's be thankful for those things, but also let's consider them. Like what's God saying about himself? How is he showing up? What is he reinforcing to be really important? And let's make sure that we don't miss that because we're just so concerned with filling our bellies with the manna. So we've 
four things we've seen so far, like God's solution comes first as a promise. He speaks, we stand on his word. That provision is often unexpected, but it's always precise. And then actually the way that God provides teaches us about him, teaches us about his character. So that's the four things we've seen so far. And the fifth one um, we get in verses 31 to 35. So let's read it. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded, that an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. So the thing that I want to emphasize here is that, um, that God's faithfulness never stops. So in the case of the manna, it says that the people of Israel ate the manna 40 years. Like that's an entire generation. That's a significant number in the Bible. It basically just means like a whole, yeah, a whole generation, a whole cycle. So it wasn't like this manna just lasted for a few weeks. Like actually it was a long time. And, and you know, I don't know about you, but um, sometimes like if, if God does something or if I, you know, I get to the end of myself and I actually reach out to him and, and ask him to provide and he does it, it's amazing. I then like, like oh, I don't want to do that again because, you know, it might run out. <laughs> like it might not work again. Like, ah, what, what will happen then? Like stupid stuff. And I, and I think the encouragement here is that, um, that actually God's provision, even this like really super unique, weird, miraculous provision of manna continued 40 years, entire generation. But, but even when the manna stopped, God's faithfulness didn't stop. It just took a different form. And, you know, like, and so the way that God provides for us will look different in different seasons, but it will always be there and it will always continue. And because his faithfulness never ends and it goes from generation to generation. And, um, and that's the other thing that I love about this little passage because it, it emphasizes the importance of remembering that. So notice how it says, you know, Moses says to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. So again, we sort of see that um, just from a kind of physical properties point of view, the manna doesn't like expire after 24 hours or 48 hours, you know, that maybe um, you might think based on the story so far, like actually God says, well, this bit you can put in a jar and, and place it before the people for generations so that actually they will be able to, um, to look at this testimony and this, this thing that bears witness to who God is and be like, oh yeah, that is what God is like. We were in the desert and he provided miraculously for us. And so that, that's an amazing thing about the way that God provides, the way that he's faithful in your life, the way that he's shown up in your life. It, it matters there and then, doesn't it? You need it. Like the Israelites needed that manna in their bellies to keep going. But it continues to matter even after 40 years, when they're in the promised land, it continues to matter because it tells a story of who God is and what he's like, which actually tells us that this is, you know, this is what, how, what he has done. This is what he will still do. And this is what he will keep doing into the future. 
And so like we see it in another place as well, you know, when, when the Israelites actually cross the Jordan into the promised land, they pick up stones from the bed of the river, 12 stones for the 12 tribes, and they take these stones out of the riverbed and they place them as a monument on the other side so that actually for future generations, anytime someone walks past, they can point to the stones and be like, this is who our God is. This is what he is like. This is the God who rescued us from Egypt, who sustained us in the wilderness, who brought us miraculously into the promised land. This is who he is. And even though you weren't there to see it, kids, even though you had it easy, like actually this is who God is and what he was like. Because actually you're going to need that strength for the battles of your own. Because there's stuff that you need to walk into that we can't. You know, we, we see that with the Israelites, actually. That generation, um, the vast majority of them didn't make it into the promised land. And so... Um, there were, there were things that they couldn't carry into the next generation, but they could carry the story of who God is and what he is like. And so I, I, I just feel kind of, I feel like this is the key point for us this morning. That actually um, we need to trust that God will continue to provide for us through the generations. But in particular, um, this whole idea of testimony is really significant. And I think it's for two reasons. I think for those of us that are maybe feeling a little wayward, feeling a little distracted, ground down, just like, you know, this last year or two has been hard. It has been hard. Like, for all the obvious reasons, but even just for the, the things that kind of come as secondary reasons as well. Like, and it, it's easy just to get a bit kind of like flat and, you know, and you're like, we're looking for something new. Maybe like we want God to do something fresh and, and come. But I think... I think the key is actually to look back, to look back through our own lives and like what is in the jar of testimony of your life? What are the stones that you've picked up from the river and placed? I mean, like this is who God is. This is what he's done. This is what he's like. You know, let's not kind of bury them in the past as like nostalgic glory days or maybe even like, oh, that was when we were innocent and carefree and before the world got hold of us and life really happened. Like actually, no, that stuff is real and it's significant. And I feel like for some of us, there's stuff to go back to and examine. And maybe it's old journals, maybe it's um, prophetic words, maybe it's just, um, I don't know, stuff that God's done in, in your past that actually you need to, for yourself, as much as anyone, you, you need to look at it again and remind yourself of how God has provided, who he is and what he's like. But I also feel like, um, I don't feel like we're in the promised land in any way. Like um, just on a macro level and just even in my own life, I, just, I feel like there's stuff in front of me that um, that isn't there yet. But I feel like the encouragement for us today is to... Um, is to take the manna and put it in the jar, is, is to pick up the stones from the river that actually, as we go through this season that feels like a transition, it feels like a, a changing of the guard, it feels like, you know, um, stuff pre-COVID isn't going to be there post-COVID and, you know, all that kind of stuff, like, feels like there's a lot of change and we haven't finished it yet. But um, I don't want us to rush through it. I don't want us to just be like, okay, God, just put the manna in my belly so that I can eat and exist for this day and that's all I care about. Like I feel that there's some purpose that God wants us to reconnect to and there's stones that we need to gather from the riverbed of this time to take with us and plant on the other side but for ourselves and for future generations so that they can look back and be like, this is who God is. This is what he has done. This is what he's like. 
And actually, like even, you know, I read from Ephesians 2 earlier and, and, and a little bit earlier in that chapter, it talks about how we're God's masterpieces, how he's created us for um, specific things in advance. There's, there's purpose on us. And actually so much of that destiny is connected to our story, to our history and like and kind of who we are and what's happened to us and how God has moved. And so I think it's important that we don't just like blank it out or move on or try to run away from it. But we actually look at it and consider it and think, OK, what was God doing here? What was he like? How is he moving? And I think as we take that stuff and we start to see, actually, OK, this is the thread that God's weaving through my life. And this is actually what I need to carry what I need to take into the next season, what I need to be the, um, to hold and have purpose in, because actually there's generations coming up behind me that are going to need this. And actually they're going to get for free what I paid for, but that's amazing because then that positions them to go on further themselves. So the, the five things we've learned that, that God's promise comes, God's solution comes as a promise. What has he spoken over you? What do you know to be true? His faithfulness, his provision is often unexpected, but it's always exactly what we need. And it teaches us about him. It reminds us about who he is and what he's like. And that actually that faithfulness is never going to stop. It might look like different things in different seasons, but it will continue for generation after generation. And that actually we can, uh, we can take the testimony of those times and use them to draw strength for now and for the future. So like, you know, with the Israelites, their journey didn't go as planned. It didn't look how they imagined it would look. And, you know, that's the same for us. Plans get derailed. Things take longer. But God's always doing something in the midst of that. And nothing is ever wasted with him. So as we tr learn to trust him and lean on his faithfulness, like actually he's going to sustain us in the moment and prepare us for what lies ahead. And as all of us, as we look back on, on, on the big story of God's people, as we look back on our own story, like actually um, we'll see who God is, what he's like and what he's going to do. And, and my prayer for today is that actually as you do that, that he would reignite something in your heart. That like the engine would sort of restart in a new way. And whether you felt near or whether you felt far, you would know that actually um, there's something for me to walk in in this world. There's, so, there's, there's something that I've been created for, a space that no one else can fill. And that actually God wants, doesn't want you to get distracted from that. He wants to give you everything you need to walk through it. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Doesn't mean it's going to be problem free. It's absolutely not. But actually it's the thing that's going to make you come alive. And so I just pray that as you consider how God has moved in the past, it would excite you for how he's going to move in the future. So just as band want to come back, I'm, um, I'm just going to pray that over us. Father, thank you for all the ways that you've moved. Thank you that that is true in our own lives and it's true in the story of your people. God, thank you that you, you are the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. You are the God who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, that you remind us of that when you introduce yourself. But you're the God who's done that for us too. And so I pray that you would draw to mind all the times that that has happened and show us a fresh, a new perspective on that and on who you are and what you're like. But Lord, I pray especially for everyone this morning that um, 
that the fire that is burning in our heart, whether that's a roaring fire or just a tiny ember, that you would fan it into flames, that you would um, reignite hope in our hearts, reconnect us to our purpose, remind us of who you are and what you're like and what, what it is that you've made us to step into. God, I pray that our lives would stand as a jar of testimony. Our lives would bear witness to your goodness. God, and especially in these seasons when it's hard, when it's not an easy choice, when it feels like a slow slog, like actually there is so much value there. And I just pray that um, that we would stick to you. We would keep choosing you. You would sustain us. You would empower us. And actually we would take such a victory beyond this river, beyond this transition, beyond this season that actually would release so much promise both to ourselves and to the generations that come after us. Thank you that you're better than we can imagine, that your abundance is unlimited, that you're doing more than we know. And God, we choose to trust you. We stand on your word that says that you're good, you're faithful, you're kind, that your kingdom is here, kingdom is coming that the earth will look like heaven and so lord wherever we are in the midst of that let us know love and joy and peace and hope revive that in us again this morning